Hello and welcome to the Earthly Roots podcast where we chat all things gardening, homesteading and connecting to nature. We're your hosts Diane and Robin. The Earthly Roots podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode. This episode of the Earthly Roots podcast is going to be a little different as was the last one. Um, So last week, Diane did a solo podcast here on the Earthly Roots podcast, and this time it is my turn. So I am going to be sitting down by myself today doing a solo episode, and I I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know. It just feels a little bit weird to be doing a podcast and not having someone else uh, sit next to me and have a conversation with. I do have a few notes for today and some drinks, so I might need to stop and have a sip of tea uh, throughout this podcast because, yeah, I usually would get a break if Diane was here uh, talking as well. Um, But today I'm going to be talking about navigating through different career paths and using nature to ground myself, how you might be able to build a connection to nature if you are interested in that, and also how it can work in with gardening and homesteading and just basically the importance of being connected to our landscape. I'll talk a little bit about the background of my story on how I got to be um, where we're living here right now um, and doing the YouTube uh, and the jobs that I have been a part of uh, in the last 10 or so years and also some kind of challenges that we've had to overcome um, where I've just tried to reconnect to nature or had that taken away from me somehow. Uh, and also just yeah, share some tips on how you can also connect to nature if you want to build up your own um, understanding of your landscape or you're interested in just how to read nature a little bit more. Before I do start, I did want to say another thank you to you all for supporting this podcast. It has been so amazing to to do this with Diane, to sit down and have a conversation with her um, every few weeks. It's like we've honestly, our friendship has grown so much during the podcast. So I literally learn more and more about her. And that's kind of probably how we've learned the most about each other, because when we come together, we're creating so much content that we don't have a lot of time to just sit down and have a chat. So uh, the podcast is a great uh, option for having a chat and getting to know each other. Um, And yeah, I'm so glad that it has either helped some of you or you found some interesting. It's been really great to read all of the reviews, uh, which you can definitely um, do on any podcasting app to leave us a rate and review or here on YouTube if you're watching this as well. Uh, And we do now have a buy me a coffee page if you wanted to support the page and the podcast financially. Um, That really does help out a lot, pays for some fuel, pays for all of the tea that we drink. uh, And it's just so lovely to have your support over there as well. 
So I'll get into today's podcast. Um, I suppose I wanted to kind of start it with that so much changes in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Change is really, you know, everyone says this saying, but change really is the only constant in life. Um, And I've definitely tried to use nature to help ground me and to help center me when I'm faced with a lot of change. And it has really helped me uh, both physically and emotionally that I'll chat through today. But I wanted to kind of start with a little bit of a background or maybe just where we're at right now and then we'll go into a background. Um, but yes, I live here on the southeast coast of New South Wales with my partner Scott. Uh, we have two cats and I love gardening basically. Uh, I have a garden YouTube channel where um, I share how to garden and how to grow certain things, how to start a flower farm, which I'm also trying to start in the backyard. There's been there's been a lot of challenges there so we can go through that today. And I also share on that channel a few travel vlogs and how to connect to nature a little bit more. I also do work now with a business called Whitbird Environmental, where I do a lot of bush regeneration work and work in other people's gardens. So it's a very physical and outdoor job that I absolutely love. And I am probably, I'm going to say I'm probably the happiest I have been in maybe like 10 years or so. It's been, it's been a long 10 years and that's kind of the amount of time that I suppose I've been out of home. Uh, so yeah, it's it's definitely, there's been a lot of change in my life up until now. Gr- growing up, I was also around a lot of change. Uh, we moved almost every five years or so or less when I was growing up and it was actually amazing. It, it wasn't a bad thing. It was great to see different areas of Australia. Um, so So I was born around the Northern Rivers area and then moved to Margaret River in Western Australia. And this is probably where I have my first memories of really connecting to nature. Mum would build me little fairy gardens. I still do remember the fairy gardens that I have. It's probably why I still love fairies to this day. And I remember playing around those areas We also had an area down the back of the house that had larger trees and I just remember it being such a magical area and such a happy time. Also experiencing all of the beautiful, I think the Cowrie forests down in Western Australia, just so, so beautiful and was just a really magical area to grow up and the beaches are also beautiful. So I think that really helped to frame my my love for nature and being outdoors and it being such a special part in my life. We then kind of packed up and moved over to Queensland. We drove up all along Western Australian coast and then all through the Northern Territory and down through Queensland and that I can also remember some of that. Probably the home videotapes helped me remember some of these places, but I do remember a lot of Kakadu National Park and seeing just how beautiful and vast this country really is. It really, I think, did lead me to have a much larger appreciation for this country and some of the beautiful animals and flora that we do have in this country, as well as the rich indigenous culture and heritage that we have in our country as well. 
So that was definitely a special time as well as growing up in another beautiful area. I spent a large part of my life around the Sundays, which is another just stunning area and probably also led me to wanting to do something with nature with my work and career pathway. In high school, I loved earth science and geography. They were my two favorite subjects and you know, call me a nerd, whatever. Um, I used to watch David Attenborough videos and DVDs before my exams or the day before the exam and write like little notes, little extra facts about uh, the planet and apply that in my exams. And I just loved them. I loved learning about things. But I think watching those DVDs and opening my eyes up uh, as I kind of left high school and went into university really as to how humans can impact the planet and what we're doing to the planet really opened my eyes up into wanting to actually do something and feel productive and feel like I was contributing something positive to the planet because I was understanding and researching all of these terrible things that were happening in terms of mining and land use change and agricultural development and all of these things that were having such a large impact on native species and wildlife. So much so that uh, coming out of high school, I I was like, yep, I am, I'm going to be an environmental lawyer. I am going to do something about these problems and I'm going to put my foot down and say no to these big companies and make change and I, I didn't end up surviving law. I did about two semesters at university and I was doing a dual degree at the time, so law and science as well. But I did end up dropping the law side and just did the science side. I think I lasted, yeah, two semesters of law and I remember it just being the most stressful time of my life. People around me in exams were literally breaking down and crying and I I just couldn't handle it. I, I passed. I, I definitely did pass my exams, but I was not thriving and it was just really emotionally damaging. I even remember one of the first lectures that we had in one of the law courses. I think it was law of torts or something like that. I remember the whole, the whole course was, or the whole lecture was dedicated to how to emotionally survive uh, the university degree of law. So so that was very eye-opening and kind of like a red flag. So yeah, I ended up dropping the law part and wanted to pursue the science part, which I'm so glad that I did because it was so more, much more me and decided to go down the route of uh, looking at how to improve environmental management on mine sites. And I think throughout my undergraduate degree, my connection to nature probably dwindled a little bit because I wasn't going out. I was working, trying to, you know, earn money in a city and try to get through my degree studying. So it's really understandable that that kind of faltered. But it definitely did pick up when I did my honours degree, which was uh, based on a mine site. So still, you know, a little bit depressing in terms of seeing what happens to nature. But I was doing my honours. I, I put together a plan for an Indigenous mine rehabilitation crew to be able to monitor weeds on a mine site. And that was really interesting. It was really cool to go up to Groot Island. And this is where my connections to nature really like just bloomed. Like I, I understood and I could start to see what, 
how other people could connect to nature and particularly in indigenous and particularly in indigenous communities what this meant to people on an everyday basis and just how special that intrinsic connection uh, with people and nature that it really was. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with learning about things like bush food and bush medicine and the sacred sites that are around and the emotional connection that someone can have to a piece of land that has been told in stories and uh, law for, you know, tens of thousands of years. We have one of the richest and oldest cultures in the world in Australia. And that is absolutely just incredibly special that if you're that if you're ever wanting some information about connecting to the Australian landscape, then talking to traditional owners and that kind of information is just so, so eye-opening uh, what people actually do know about this country and how to manage it and how to take care of it. Being on a mine site definitely did have its challenges and I think this is where I was also at a crossroads in terms of whether I wanted to keep doing this research or not because it was kind of depressing. I was more working for the mining companies trying to get a better management plan, which was which was the benefit, but it was still really disheartening to see what, what mining companies can do to, to the land. But I then did get an opportunity after my honours to do a PhD in the same kind of field, but not necessarily working alongside a mining company, but really understanding the impact that it does have on Indigenous people's connections to nature. And this was the topic of my PhD. It was all about assessing the impacts of mining on ecosystem services. And ecosystem services are basically the benefits that we receive from nature and that can be in any form, whether it's monetary, I, I wasn't too focused on that, but I was more focused on the emotional and the well-being benefits that being outside can have on uh, Indigenous peoples in terms of collecting things like bush foods and bush medicines and raw materials like for artwork and basket weaving and things like that. And looking at how having a mine come in and take away that access, how that really impacts people and whether or not that's considered in uh, mining management plans. My And my main conclusions and findings were that it really isn't. None of this is being considered right now in a lot of mining management plans, except a few mines that do go above and beyond and look into this and have consultations and really provide uh, kind of compensation, I suppose. I don't love the word compensation because you can really never compensate for a lot of these things, but do, but do kind of actually look at it in management plans. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but it's something that I'm just so passionate about is really respecting uh, Indigenous people's connections to land because we, because a lot of us, uh, we, we do have a connection to, you know, our home if we have a home and we have a big piece of land. I know a lot of people have large properties and we treasure it. It is sacred to us if someone came in and uh, put a mine up in this in in your house or next to your house you would be absolutely devastated and a lot of this happens on a day-to-day -day basis in 
many remote areas of Australia that you don't drive past or you don't see and it is really disheartening to experience this and to really what is a big kind of like thing to say but it's really a lot of these cultures are are dying a lot of these languages are becoming less and less spoken every day as access to land is prohibited or decreased and it's a real big problem that we might actually lose a lot of indigenous cultures within the next hundred years or so if we don't consider it an important thing that we need to respect people's connections to nature and how it makes people feel both mentally and physically because not going out you know into the bush for some person might not mean a lot it, you know you might not have a connection to that land but a lot of traditional owners not being able to go out onto their homelands and their own country is really physically debilitating and can impact people's health. So I was just incredibly interested in all of these connections and how different it is between family groups and even just people, people's personal connections to nature is so interesting and it is it's a topic that I love to talk about and I would love if you are watching on YouTube or commenting or watching on it listening on a podcast sorry if you could add what your connections to nature are I'll try and do a post on on Instagram and we can kind of see like you come together and so many people have so many diverse connections that it's incredibly interesting and is really upsetting when those are taken away from people. I'm not saying that mining is all bad and we have to stop mining and whatever. Uh, I wouldn't literally wouldn't be sitting here if we didn't have mines. I, I wouldn't have all of this equipment around, this technology. We do need mine sites for the way that society lives, unfortunately. But there's definitely a better way to do it that can really minimise the impact that it has on people's well-being. This goes for all other types of land uses, like even housing or agricultural, large scale agriculture. There's so many things that we can take into consideration, uh, particularly in Indigenous communities where it is crucial to have that connection to nature. And throughout my PhD, I really built up my own or wanted to build up my own connection to nature because I started to feel really disheartened, both the, you know, toll of being working around mining companies and seeing what happens uh, and seeing just terrible things happen really was really upsetting, as well as a lot of things that happened in the academic sphere that really made me upset as well just how competitive a lot of the academic world is and I'm not saying that this is like that everywhere but in my little circle it was definitely quite competitive particularly at the university that I was at and it was kind of generally all a lot of people were focused on was how many papers you were publishing getting your name out there and I know that's super important like I I know that's important to get grants and to build your career but it was just how that was done was a little bit upsetting to me in that I felt like a lot of my work that I was producing became someone else's word and I got ridiculed by a lot of other academics out there for some of my work that then went on to be highly published and highly cited or whatever but the process to get that out there was incredibly difficult and was pushed back so many times and I had to change so many things that in the end I just wanted to just chuck it out there and just be done with it because 
it had gone through so many changes and so many edits to make it sound perfect or make it sound a certain way when I just wanted to pour my heart out and just tell everyone what was happening really. And I don't think I would have been able to get through my PhD without looking and being around all of these uh, Indigenous communities and looking at their connections to nature and what it meant to them and really kind of how I might be able to apply that in my own life and my own connections to where I lived at the time. There were times when I was out in Cape York where I was camping with traditional owners and we were falling asleep just looking at the stars. I was listening to stories being told that have been told for tens of thousands of years about the night sky and looking at the moon, which I think even was one of the totems of one of the little babies that was staying with us and just how special these natural things were to a community and to a family group. There was even a time when this snake or I think it was a legless lizard was just slithering by and I remember one of the guys just picked it up and put it in a water bottle and used it in a ritual that allowed the baby who was with us to be a strong, to grow up strong basically and there was just so many little things that like this that happened that I was just, you just never think about these things that that you know that animals mean so much in certain cultures and how incredibly special they are and having one change like you know having a mine come in or having some land use change happen can really just disrupt that whole system and that whole culture and everything that's based on it and it it can and it can really be impacted that there were so many times where there were flowers or certain animals that we would see and that would mean that a certain fish was abundant that time of year or, you know, if you saw a certain plant, that means that it was a good time to go harvest oysters. All of these certain things that were so seasonal and so it just felt right, you know, it just felt like this is this is what we're supposed to be doing. This feels like, you know it's supposed to be. I don't know how to describe it really, but it just, it made me just so incredibly interested in building up my own connection to nature and understanding seasons a little bit more. So I decided to do, this was while I was still doing my PhD, I decided to do a nature reading course with Laura Bowen. Laura Bowen is an incredible, an incredible woman. Uh, she's an Aboriginal lady and she used to run some nature reading courses. I think she's doing archaeology now I or cultural heritage, but yeah, her information that she had in some of her courses was so amazing and nature reading is something I would definitely love to delve into a little bit more. But we basically had this booklet where we would read nature every day, understood, started to understand our landscape. We draw maps of the area, uh, what certain things meant in Aboriginal cultures, whether we could find any Indigenous culture on the area and how to apply that to our existing knowledge. And it was really eye opening to have some of those prompts just to start to think about things in a different way. It's really helpful for gardening and homesteading to know 
about our land and it's a permaculture principle as well to observe. It's it's the number one thing that you know, people recommend when you're starting out a new garden or, or a homestead is to observe your land and understand things. And having a year is definitely a good amount of time to do that because then you can get the four or however many seasons are in your year because I know some places don't have distinct four seasons. We kind of do here, but I know in the subtropics, we we really didn't have four distinct seasons. So you can kind of create your own seasonal calendars, which is something that I'll kind of delve into a little bit in this conversation. But I suppose I wanted to go back to when I was doing my PhD and I felt really not great. I mentally and physically suffered a lot throughout my PhD, I think because I was so stressed both about money and about my research, basically, all of the field work and the people I was working with, they were, that was all amazing. It was just more of that academic side of pumping out papers and, you know, networking and it just being a really fast paced environment that really didn't help me. I am an incredibly introverted person, like really, really introverted. And I really enjoy my alone time and my quiet peace. It's how I recharge, which is probably why I like gardening so much. And I know a lot of people out there are also highly introverted and building your own personal and spiritual kind of connection to nature definitely really did help me as an introvert to have somewhere that wasn't necessarily always by myself. Like I didn't need to be at home in a room by myself to recharge. But a lot of the times I could go for a walk around the campus, go down to somewhere that was a a natural space. And those are the areas that I really felt like home. It really got to the point where I was dreading going into university uh, just because I was dealing with uh, also so much imposter syndrome. It's something that I've I've had for a lot of my life, still do. I struggle with it almost daily. And yeah, just a lot of general anxiety. Probably the pandemic didn't help. That changed so much of my field work and my thesis that I was just lost basically for a while and didn't know how I was going to finish it in the time frame that I had. And and that was perfectly fine. Like I'm totally understandable that a lot of us suffered in that time, particularly, you know, when we couldn't go outside and we couldn't connect to nature. It was just, it was horrible and I feel like sometimes I still am recovering from that because it was such a hard point in my life trying to navigate this thesis and for a lot of us trying to just navigate daily life that so many things were taken away from us and a big part of that was the freedom to go outside and be with nature and be around natural things. So that was when I really started to have problems in my life, like with all of the anxiety and imposter syndrome and yeah, just losing that, that balance that I had with, you know, connecting to nature and really needed to build it up a little bit. So one of those things I did was I started the YouTube channel. I, it was kind of both a way to connect to people like online because I loved watching those kinds of videos. It was also a way for me to escape all of the academic side and the things going on in my life that, you know, I didn't want to deal with probably a lot of avoidance tactics there rather than dealing with it. But 
but it helped at the time and it helped me get through and it was something that was productive in my mind. I'm someone who I really need something to do. I need to feel productive, even though it might not seem productive to anyone else. But if I personally have something to do, then I can get through my day a lot easier. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just how I function. So having YouTube was really great because I could do the gardening, I could make a video on it and then post it and hopefully that it got out to people who were interested in the content or I could help teach people how to grow food and then eventually grow flowers. So YouTube was really kind of what saved me, I think, because it gave me in my head it gave me like an excuse to go do the things that I really wanted to do and in my mind I tricked myself into feeling like I was productive when probably I was supposed to be doing a lot more work on my thesis but really just needed that mental break at the time. So if you're in that kind of dilemma right now where you're really not loving what you're doing in life then maybe just start doing what you deep down really really want to be doing even if it's just a few hours a week and the benefits of being out in nature and you know being outside being in the garden or going on a bushwalk are just incredible. We scientifically do respond better to being out in nature and being around green spaces and seeing bright colors everywhere. It's again, what, what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's our genetic makeup, what we physically respond better to. And being around a lot of uh, indigenous communities, I really started to understand that a lot more, that it just felt so right to be outside and to be around nature doing these things. So I thought I would chat through a few ways that you can incorporate building a nature connection into your own life. Hopefully you're interested in that if you've made it this far in the podcast. I feel like a lot of my audience is fairly similar to me in that they either do like gardening or homesteading or, or have an interest in nature. Uh, so I thought, you know, I could chat a little bit about that. I am, of course, by no means like a therapist or counsellor. Therapy has definitely helped me a lot. Like I love to normalise talking about therapy and kind of going through more of like the scientific ways of why we might be thinking the way we do. I am such a logical person. I think it's my personality type, the logician or whatever it is, where I love to apply logic and and getting therapy is one way to definitely do that. If you can find a good therapist to really understand your brain and understand whether or not, you know, something might be missing in your life. And it might be as simple as just allowing yourself or taking the time to go on a nature walk and just you know forcing yourself to do that because deep down that that's what your brain actually really needs so understanding that through talking to therapists is really important also just talking to friends and family who might also have these similar struggles is also something that I definitely recommend to do um, but I talked a little bit before about nature reading and there are a few nature reading courses out there, but you can certainly just start to do your own practice. And one of the ways you can do that is just by writing simple prompts that you personally really want to know about your landscape. Rather than asking people to tell you what you want to know or looking up guides and things like that, just think to yourself like, 
do what do I want to know about my landscape like what do I want to see a pattern with in my landscape or seascape if you are near oceans or water to start to jot this down and see if you can create your own seasonal calendar so some ideas might be like Uh, sitting down for even just five minutes, five minutes of your day and recording what birds might be flying around or the habitats or characteristics of birds, whether they're really loud one day or whether they're, you know, in their mating period or whether they're quiet and reserved. Choosing maybe just a few birds, you could start to get in the pattern of that bird Or you could start to look at different animals, whether they be, you know, mammals or marsupials around, understand their characteristics. Something I really like uh, that I got recently was kind of like a night camera that picks up the animals that are walking around at night, which I found really interesting to see what the bandicoot gets up to at night in our garden but you know if you're more a night owl you can start to look at night animals and see what happens around at night because a lot of things do happen out in the garden Uh, another thing is looking at cloud formations what the clouds are looking like drawing them how fast they're moving the wind how you feel as well on a certain day whether you want to start to really understand how you personally feel in each season I know I have such a sense of nostalgia in autumn I don't know what it is but I think it's maybe connected back to as a child being out in like the cooler parts of the year and having that really fresh or crisp breeze on your cheeks it's something that really does bring nostalgia to me and I love that feeling like I absolutely love it and I notice my body definitely kind of you know fluctuates in how it feels throughout the year so that's another thing that you can start to to be in tune with uh, with you know how the seasons impact you either mentally or physically because I know in summer it, it it gets a little stressful with all of the food production and the gardening that we're all doing and in winter it is just it is a sweet sweet feeling I I absolutely love autumn and winter and how it makes me feel and you know it's definitely something I can take into consideration because I can then prepare for how I'm going to feel in summer if I've got all of those notes from last year how I felt when it was a really hot day or it was a really windy day or something like that. Another thing you can look at, which is my favorite thing to look at, is what's flowering at the moment out in your natural area or in a park. If, if you're not in a natural area and you live in a city, there's still natural things that you can probably look at. Birds are a great one for that. Uh, flowers or, you know, going to a local park and seeing what's flowering or a botanical gardens. There are so many options for wherever you live in the world to really just be in tune with your natural surroundings. And this is a lot of what I was doing when I was in a bad place, when I was doing the research, when I felt horrible. I knew that I would feel instantly better. There was there was a few walks around the Brisbane area that I did and I did them all throughout the year, like I did the same one throughout the year and just it was so incredible to be able to go on that walk and seasonally see the changes and start to actually notice the flowers and the animals and the sounds that would change throughout the year because it was it was absolutely incredible to see how much life was in the Australian bushland landscape 
throughout the year because a lot of people think like oh it's just dry it's harsh it's you know not a nice place but the Australian bushland and woodlands in you know throughout our country are just beautiful and we can definitely learn a lot from just being out and walking around these places and getting a sense of how we feel because again I go I get nostalgia every time I go back to these certain areas because I'll start to now feel how I felt the moment that I walked that bushwalk at that certain point in the year which is so special and really really does ground me and send to me and allows me to actually live my life a lot better than I was when I was not connected at all to my surroundings and I was just stressed out and wanted to get through the day and then binge watch YouTube at night. Like, you know, now I know that what I certainly need is to go on nature walks and to do nature journaling and do nature reading to be able to function a little bit better. So another thing is journaling. I know a lot of people aren't a fan of sitting down and journaling about their feelings and what they're doing, but I I did start doing that and I've kind of fallen off a little bit, which, you know, I really do want to start get getting back into that now, but journaling, it doesn't have to be writing two pages or five pages or whatever. It can even just be a few sentences of how you feel writing the date and how you feel uh, or what you're doing that day or what bird you, you hear. You don't have to, you know, write a nature journal per se, just journaling and getting your feelings out uh, is a great way. And doing this in nature, I find I'm so much more creative if I journal either on the beach or outside on the balcony. It's incredible how your mind can kind of just open up a lot more when you're outside. Another way you can connect is just by being, just by going outside, not even not even recognizing what's happening around you, but just going for a walk and doing some deep breathing or some kind of meditation I know a lot of people find meditation super hard and I am definitely one of those people. I cannot sit still, close my eyes and breathe. I end up feeling like I'm going to hyperventilate. Like it just doesn't work for me. So going outside and just like doing some deep breaths outside can really be beneficial. There is so much research actually on the concept of earthing and grounding yourself by either like taking your shoes off and just having your feet on the ground or breathing in natural air there is so much research which suggests that it's good for our brains and good for our health so just give it a go if you're feeling a little stressed I think even like I'm not sure about Australia but I was reading I think it was the hidden life of trees and in the book I I think it was this book it could have been another one so you know, I could be wrong here, but there was even benefits of going through a forest and just breathing the air by the essential oils that were in the air from the forest there. And that was beneficial to people's health, which is just incredible. We can learn so much from trees and how they communicate to each other and try and, you know, apply that in our own life by, you know, taking things slow, just taking a step back and, doing slow things so another way is just being intentional in the garden and maybe not you know planting out rows and rows and rows of tomatoes but instead kind of creating some soil or uh, creating garden beds that are really slow and intentional but are going to break down over time and produce really really great soil 
It's a way that you can connect to nature in that you're kind of replicating what happens in nature, which is very slow and very intentional for it to produce beautiful things. And we can definitely do that in our gardens by, you know, doing techniques such as the Hugel culture technique. It's one of my favorites where you know, you use sticks and um, raw, like raw materials on the base of a garden bed uh, that are a little bit more rough and then apply compost and thinner, more chopped up materials to create soil. And it's just it's a really great way to connect with your surroundings because you're literally doing what could happen out in nature. Granted, you're doing it kind of speeding up the process a lot, but it's still something that um is going to build soil, is going to help you, you know, feel like you're capturing carbon and putting it back into the ground, which which you definitely are if you're like me and you're constantly kind of figuring out how you can reduce your uh, footprint on this planet. There's, there's so many ways that we can uh, benefit that and improve that in the garden. And is probably why I love making compost so much because it is a way for me to apply my science background, but also just let nature do her thing and produce absolute gold for the garden um, and just be really slow and intentional with the actions that I do in my garden. It might not mean that you have an abundant harvest within the first year of gardening, but if you're willing to take time and slow down, your garden and your homestead is definitely going to be better off in the long run and be a lot more sustainable. If you are doing slower gardening techniques like Google culture methods and no dig methods, to both benefit nature and give back to nature, which is then going to give back to you in the long run. The whole concept of giving and not taking from nature is something that I'll end this podcast off and that is something again that I, I learned throughout my PhD was understanding that process of in a lot of indigenous communities where traditional owners will take from the land but also give back at the same time so taking some fish but you know leaving the bones or you know clearing up a waterway or just adding some benefit to the landscape every time you do take from the landscape is a great way to connect to nature and just makes makes us feel good as well, which which I definitely want to do when I'm out gardening and around in nature because I already do take so much as a human being living on this planet from nature, just the way society is. Like it's it's incredibly difficult to to be, you know, even even 50% good in your actions. Like it's just really hard to minimize your impact. But by having that mindset, by giving and doing positive things for your natural environment is a way that you can definitely like feel a little bit better. And, you know, I don't love the whole kind of compensation or the topic of offsets. Like I could totally do a whole podcast on offsets and how much I do not like that topic. Uh, but it, it is something that we we can start to do as individuals and if the collective of us do start to think of beneficial ways we can give back while we are taking like taking things from the soil and growing things by giving back with compost or by planting native trees increasing habitat and biodiversity as a collective if we start to do that then it'll be so much easier for us to uh, maintain these connections to nature 
and hopefully we can create traditions uh, that can then be passed on through generations and hopefully in a lot of Indigenous cultures that can continue to happen if we increase this knowledge about how important nature is for our well-being and how important it is to kind of go back to nature when we're in problems in our life or like me when I'm changing careers and not too sure what I want to do finding a career that was nature-based was super important to me and I know I'm incredibly privileged to be able to swap and change careers and really figure out what I want to do with my life but you know I've taken so many steps towards that each and every day and one thing that's been super constant is this intrinsic love and connection that I do want with my natural environment and those values really do help to frame my decisions in everyday life what I am eating what I'm consuming what I'm watching all of those things to just you know hopefully decrease my impact a little bit more so I went from thinking I was going to be an environmental lawyer to now I am running a YouTube channel. I've got a flower farm that I'm starting and I do bush regeneration work and all of those things just really feed my love for nature. And I know everyone might not be the same, like you, you've all got your own careers and I applaud like anyone who, you know, is doing office jobs and things like that because I, I know personally it's not what my body flourishes from and I I, I didn't feel as healthy doing that, but I am incredibly supportive of uh, everyone who decides to do that and then can balance their, you know, love for nature or love for hobbies and gardening or sport uh, in their own time. It's really just about understanding what you deep down really, really desire and your values. And I think growing up, I've just really been shaped in that way of having a love and appreciation for natural spaces that I would absolutely love to keep doing this for the rest of my life to keep to keep improving places to grow food to grow flowers to um, to share this knowledge with people about how important it is to build a connection with your landscape and yeah I would love to I would love to know what how you connect to your landscape or how you uh, or how it makes you feel every day you know on an everyday basis I would would love to know in the comment section of this podcast or on YouTube or Instagram because as I did mention, it is super important if you're a gardener to know what's happening with the seasons, particularly with uh, climate change and things that are happening with the weather to really understand what works in your climate, what grows really well. Hopefully it's not going to change too much in the next few years, but hopefully we'll have the knowledge that we can share among each other and Local knowledge is just the most important thing, in my opinion, to be sharing that around and yeah, just sharing our experiences. So I really hope you enjoyed this podcast or that you took something away from it. I'm going to go now and just spend a little bit of time outside in my garden. It's been a long day and I really wasn't sure how this podcast was going to go recording a solo episode. It's really not natural for me. So yeah, there was definitely a few cuts here and there, but we'll, I'll piece it together and hopefully it's an okay podcast. I hope you're all having a lovely day and yeah, we will be back in a few weeks after a break 
probably back in late January uh, with some more episodes. We're just going to have a relaxing Christmas time. We're both going overseas, which is exciting on different trips. So there's going to be a lot happening for us. And yeah, I'm super excited to keep filming these episodes next year. So thank you so much for watching. Remember, we've got a buy me a coffee page if you would like to support us over there. Uh, your support means so much just watching and listening to this podcast. So thank you so much and I will see you in the next episode. Bye.